Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm Bill Alvstead here with Keith Myers. Keith, talk to me, man. Welcome into the show. Yeah, it's um, we are living in some strange times, my friend, between a pandemic and social unrest. And I mean, it's gotten so bad that murder hornets aren't even in the news anymore. And it's not like they disappeared. They're still out there, but there's just bigger stuff going on. So um, and yeah. and it's uh, officially hurricane season today. Oh, great. So, that, so 2020 just keeps getting better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here we are. We're here to talk Seahawks football. Um, we're here to talk offensive roster analysis. Uh, given the the 90-man roster is now basically complete, there'll probably be uh, some some additions and some subtractions uh, you know, throughout the offseason. But for the most part, we've got our roster built. Now it's time to kind of look into the offensive side of the ball. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to do defense. We're just looking at all the players right now, and then uh, the the third show in this series is going to be a 53-man roster prediction show, which is uh, always a fun show for us. So uh, before we get started today, man, let's just talk about uh, the stuff that's obviously uh, really pertinent right now. It's affecting every team in the NFL, every citizen in the United States uh, throw sports out the window. It's just out there, and that's all the, the social unrest that's going on in the country um, as a result of uh, what happened in Minneapolis and other communities throughout the United States. And it's not just this time, Keith. It's a buildup of years, decades. Mm-hmm decades centuries of injustices and you know i think we talked ahead of time about at least kind of saying something and how we feel about it um and and not going uh too too much into depth but we felt it was important yeah and i mean you were saying that this is a build-up this isn't a this isn't a, a protest against one thing i mean um, all the stuff that happened in, in Ferguson was four years ago. Uh, Rodney King, um, and that happened in 1991. So we're talking about 29 years ago. Um, it's been this kind of thing that's been happening progressively and tensions have been building and now we've reached a, a breaking point. Uh, and it's unfortunate that our breaking point, um, came, before any real reform and stuff was done, because it, it we shouldn't have ever needed to get to a point where this was the only way to create action. Um, I know you and I both do a, a really good job of, of trying to leave uh, politics out of the show and make it just about Seahawks football. Um, but I've always, like, in this particular issue, to me personally, this is a human rights issue. It's not a political issue. And uh, it becomes this thing where how can we support people, unarmed, uh, law-abiding citizens being murdered for essentially no reason? And um, I can't support that, and I won't support that, and that's me. And um, while it says 
you know, for me, I, I can stand up and I can talk about this issue and my perspective on it, which is limited because if you don't know, I am, you know, a pasty white guy. Uh, I don't, I have strong feelings in support of this movement, this, this thing that's going on, but I don't have the experience of living it the same way other people do. And rather than continue to talk and fill the airspace up with my voice, which is uh, based on very limited experience, I would rather use my energy to amplify the voices of people who aren't typically heard from. And that's why if you go and look at my Twitter, you will find a lot of retweets of African-American voices right now, because we need to be amplifying the voices of the people who need to be heard. And that's why this couple minutes here is probably all I'm going to say about this issue. It is very important. It is a very big deal. It is something that should not be taken lightly. Um, I just don't believe that I am the one who should be talking. I am not the one you should be listening to. Go listen to uh, Bobby Wagner. It was a great one. He had a lot to say about everything that's going on. Um, and there are people like him who you should be listening to much more than you should be listening to me when it comes to this, these topics. So uh, seek those out. And I think that's all the end of what I want to say about this. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I don't have much further to say. Uh, I think that you encapsulated that uh, pretty much uh, spot on, Keith, as far as how I feel about it as well. Uh, who am I to, to come out and talk about this stuff? Uh, it's better to listen and amplify uh, those that have lived the experience that are out there um, seeking some social justice and some comprehensive reform changes. Uh, right now, uh, there's a lot of talk going on. I think now it's this time for change. We actually have to put change into action. Um, that would be my two cents on this is, is uh, mm -hmm. let's stop talking about it and let's change. Let's get this thing done um, so that we can move forward uh, together as a society. Um, okay. So offensive roster. Uh, we've done a couple of these shows you know, throughout the year. We kind of did a recap of the roster after the season we did a uh, build-up, uh, uh, of course, uh, after free agency and uh, towards the draft. So we've been looking at the roster. What what do we need? Um, now it's what do we have? So what do we have? Uh, what can we expect? Um, what are we looking for in terms of new additions? Uh, what are some of the players that we've added in the draft and undrafted free agency that may have a chance to impact the roster. So we're going to look at all those sorts of things uh, today, Keith. Um, and today is offense. So next time is going to be defense. So we're not going to talk about defensive guys today, just the offense today. Uh, it starts at the top with Russell Wilson, obviously first team, all pro uh, he's the, the basically the, the, the core, the leader that the team builds around him and, um, and behind that, we've got Geno Smith and Anthony Gordon. Uh, what do you think about the uh, quarterback room this year, Keith, as we enter uh, what is essentially the dog days of summer before training camp? Well, I mean, you, 
You can't talk about the Seahawks roster in any way, shape, or form without starting with Russell Wilson, because he is the cog that makes this entire machine go. Um, Not just offensively, because the defense last year was actually pretty bad, and Wilson was the reason why this team continued to win, why this team made the playoffs, why this team won a playoff game. It all starts and ends with... um, with Wilson. And so you kind of have to start there behind him. Um, I like Geno Smith is a great backup to have. Uh, he's a guy with a lot of starting, starting experience. He is, has shown that he's probably not a long-term starter anywhere because of, you know, some of his, um, limitations and his, uh, inability to, to, you know, complete those deep passes. He wants to check everything down and, you know, we can go on and all that, but he still makes for a great backup quarterback. Um, and then Anthony Gordon, who was signed as a undrafted free agent, uh, is a guy that a lot of people thought was draftable. That a you know a guy that was going to go in the fourth or fifth, sixth round, somewhere in there. Um, and he continued to fall. And, and the CX, you know, jumped on him the moment the draft ended. Uh, a guy with a lot of of potential, a lot of upside, but a lot a long way to go. Um, th- he might be the, the the best developmental project they've had at quarterback in a long time. So I actually like this quarterback room right now. Um, So uh, to me, this is, this is the best it's looked in a while. So it's interesting. A couple things. Uh, Number one, Russell Wilson Uh, watched the replay of the San Francisco uh, game, the regular season game of the first one in San Francisco over the weekend. And um, holy cow, Russell Wilson is just an amazing quarterback. I mean, he was so much head and heels above where Garoppolo is as a, as a quarterback and leading the team back in overtime uh, to put the team in a position to get that that field goal was just crazy. I mean, at, at the, and at that point he was the front runner for um, for the player of the year, um, and mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of went downhill a little bit after that, but. Nonetheless, Anthony Gordon is an interesting guy. 6'2", 199, very productive in his single season start. Um, He didn't even play football until ninth grade. Didn't start until his junior year in high school, where he had 3,400 yards and 32 TDs. Uh, Senior year, he had 4,899 yards and 49 TDs. So it really just completely broke for him right there. He kind of figured it out, but he went to... City College of San Francisco, one season, 3,800 yards, not very productive, transferred to uh, Washington State, sat out of season, and then played in 2019. So he's literally only played four seasons of football as a starting quarterback, three of which were in high school and community college, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he's on the Seahawks. It was just crazy. Um, He's also drafted in the 36th round of the 2015 Major League Draft by the Mets as a pitcher and an infielder guy. Um, so the, when you, and, and I, I rewatched some film before the show, uh, on Anthony Gordon, just to kind of get an idea of really what we're getting. And I'm shocked actually that a team like Arizona didn't try to get Anthony Gordon in the draft to back up Kyler Murray. Cause he'd be the perfect prospect in that, um, that system right now, because <clears throat> he is not a Seahawks typical Seahawks quarterback right now. He's going to have to develop into that. He's a total rhythm and timing passer. Um, he's a smart quarterback diagnostically um, and, and extending plays and accurate throws on the run and all that kind of stuff. 
but he's an unorthodox thrower. He kind of throws into coverage sometimes. He's kind of a gunslinger, opposite of what Pete Carroll wants in a quarterback. So he's going to have to kind of tamper that down a little bit. But I'm telling you right now, his vision is a lot closer to Tom Brady than it is to Russell Wilson. And I mean that in a in a good way. Like Tom Brady has this vision where he can take one step, throw, boom. He's just a timing, rhythm quarterback. He sees and throws. He, if, he, if he sees it open, he throws. Russell Wilson's very much more methodical in the way that he evaluates the entire field and his vision. While it might be capable of doing that, the, the offense that is currently structured around Wilson doesn't really kind of gear towards that quick timing type uh, offense. So that's the upside of him. He's he's amazing when he's uh, when he throws under two and two and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, when after that, if he needs to extend plays, things kind of break down for him a little bit. He gets a little bit more unorthodox. He doesn't use his lower body. His lower body is his worst trait. His upper body and his his arm strength and his accuracy is his best trait. So if they can kind of work on his feet get that pocket thing going for him a little bit and settle him down. This guy could blend that kind of together and be a legit backup quarterback, if not a starter in the NFL at some point, but he's got a lot to learn. He really he has does. a lot to learn. And I think that's kind of the key point is this is a guy that has a much higher ceiling than you'd expect for an undrafted free agent. Um, but he's also got a really low floor. Uh, and, I oh, he's a boomer bust guy in the Seahawks. I mean, he could literally yeah. be cut this year, and mm-hmm. and uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Or he could make the roster over Geno Smith because he blew everybody away, and he did a ton of work between you know the last season snap and the first snap of the preseason, and all of a sudden he comes in. He's worked on his feet, his rhythm, his motion. He's had some time with Schottenheimer. Um. So you just you just don't know with a guy that's only played really one year of legit football. Mm-hmm. The other thing that he brings, which is why, even though I don't, I don't think the Seahawks carry three quarterbacks on the active roster, uh, not with the expanded practice squads uh, and the ability to protect players that are on the practice squads. Um, I don't see Gordon leaving Seattle. Um, but I he's got to make the, the he's got to make it past the cut. So, so he's got to make it so that another team doesn't pick him up, or unless he goes, unless he gets protected. Um, and so can they do that right from the very beginning, like right know, when he's cut? I've read, I have read multiple uh, things on this, and they contradict each other. So I don't actually know. Um, my understanding is if you place a player in a protected slot on the practice squad, you have to pay them the same as you would the 53, 53rd man um, on the roster. And so you're not making practice squad money. You're making active roster money, even though you're not an active roster player. Um, and I think if that is the case, then yeah, they should be able to just drop him straight into that slot. Um, but like I said, well, I got I've my fingers crossed because I don't want to lose them. I mean, they're going to protect him. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be like a John Ursula thing this year where they're going to they're either have him up on the 53 or he's going to be on the practice squad and he's going to be designated as protected i mean Mm -hmm. those are the two options with anthony gordon i think this year and i think with um one of the things that anthony gordon brings to the table is that he spent you know those years and last year as a starter um in mike leach's offense which is 
the same offense that the Arizona Cardinals are running with uh, Kyler Murray. Now they've they've gone a little more. They they run the ball a little bit more in in Arizona than mm-hmm. than Mike Leach at WSU, but um, the fundamentals are the same. It's 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 the air raid. It's what the it, those offenses are, and so he brings in the ability to run the scout team and to help the defense prepare for those games uh, instantly. And I I think that that's one of those assets that. Uh, when you're trying to prepare for a very unique offense, having you know the guy in your scout team be able to run it really well and really uh, help the, the the defense prepare, um, that's a valuable asset and part of the reason why I think he stays protected. So let me ask you this. So last year, Seattle ran a lot of zone against Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray to, to limited effect, especially against uh, Lamar Jackson. Of course, a lot of teams had problems. Do you see them running a little bit more man defense this year, especially with the addition of Quinton Dunbar? Um, I don't know. That's a good, that's a great question because if you look like, um, at the way, you know, the, the stats and, and the more advanced metrics work out. Uh, we talk about how uh, Trey Flowers didn't have mm-hmm. a great year, but mm-hmm. he was in the top 15 Absolutely. in terms of coverage cornerbacks in man coverage. The problem was that the Seahawks only ran man coverage like 16% of the, of the snaps. Um, but when they did run man coverage, he was a really good player. Um, and, so and Quentin with, Dunbar is sticky as heck. Oh, yeah. And so both of those guys... Uh, being, you know, both in your top three corners would say, why don't you run more, more man coverage? But, uh, the cover three and especially with, um, you know, digs on the back end now, instead of, uh, Tedrick Thompson, like that goes to Pete Carroll's desire to, to play cover three and, and to run that zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could see them doing that. I could also see them going to a lot of uh, cover one where you have just the single high safety and you play man underneath um, or a cover two man situation where you drop both safeties back and play uh, man coverage underneath. Well, and they have both. Jordan Brooks now too, a speed at linebacker on the outside. Plus mm-hmm. they've got some young bucks there on the defensive line now creating a little bit more pressure. Maybe, maybe their yep. pressure percentage goes up a little bit this year. Maybe they don't get to the quarterback. You know, they got to the quarterback, what, 27, 28 times last year. Maybe they can bring that up to 35 or so, but increase the pressure percentage, uh, you know, five, six percentage points would be awesome. That would mm-hmm. help the back end. They could run all sorts of different schemes um, with that. It'd be interesting. How do so we Keith, end up on this when we're talking about? The I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out here. So I'm, okay, like, let's transition. Talk about a random like <laughs> shift of the conversation. All of a sudden, it's like wait, we're talking about <laughs> defensive scheme and players uh, in our sorry. show about the offensive roster. Like, well, you're right we though in that um, <laughs> Arizona and and Anthony Gordon and Kyler Murray. I mean, you know. If, <laughs> they would have had a great backup in Anthony Gordon. It'll be interesting to see if the Seahawks cut him and and immediately a a team like Arizona would swoop in. Um, That would be frightening. But um, Mm -hmm. let's talk about running backs. Keith, go ahead. Are you prepared to to run down the list? Sure. Um, So, okay. So the, if I can actually get it to my screen to switch like it's supposed to. Um, you can do it. There we go. So, okay. So Chris Carson, uh, leads the, the room. Um, he's the guy coming back from a hip injury, uh, expected to be ready, uh, day one of training camp. 
Um, even though it, at the time it looked like a pretty uh, serious injury, they've added Carlos Hyde, who is a perfect fit for Seattle's scheme. Uh, oh, I like be- that. I like this signing a lot. Um, to be the backup uh, to Carson while Rashad Penny heals, because he is not expected to be eligible to play until midseason. Um, after that, you've got the rookie DJ Dallas, who's also built to in Seattle system can run between the tackles also great at um, doing stuff outside uh, in, you know, in uh, running routes and is noted for uh, liking blitz pickup and, and, and that role and that um, uh, responsibility. Like he finds that um, one of the things that he likes to do Um you got Travis Homer, who played at the end of the season last year. Um, once the top three uh, backs in Seattle all were injured and on IR, um, Homer stepped up. He is undersized, uh, does not run well between the tackles, but again, a good third down option. Um, and you got a couple guys that that they've um, uh, brought in in Patrick Carr and, and Anthony Jones that um, at this point appear to be uh camp bodies but uh, especially anthony jones like he could make a run for this roster um given you know the state of everything and then you have to include uh nick belor who's listed as a fullback he's a special teams guy um in this group because there is a possibility he could take a running back roster spot uh for them to keep their one of their special teams stars um on the roster so that's the group of eight people uh I can't imagine more than four of them making the active roster, but you oh, never know. Really? Yeah. yeah I'm, well, thinking, part of that, I'm thinking five maybe, but I gotta look at the tight end group and, and, and the wide receivers and we'll see. Part of it is that I I have Rashad Penny on the physically unable to perform list, yes. the pup list. And so I don't count him. Right. Uh and so when I'm looking at, at at four, it's with Penny on the roster but not on the roster because he doesn't take up a roster spot. Do you um, where do you place Nick Ballour? Um, I actually in his have, own separate little category. <laughs> no, because he can't. As much as I want him to, because he's not a running back. He he's not even really a fullback, and they don't use a fullback in Seattle scheme, um, except for you know occasionally on you know goal line situations. Yeah, he's a special teams guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's someone has to show that they are worth losing. Uh. Ballard's ability on special teams for. Uh, so they've got to come out and show that they can be what he does on special teams and offer something to the offense. Um, I'm pretty right. sure we, it, we know it, that Homer is a defensive guy, player so. too. I mean, they may, they may keep 26 guys on defense and 24 on offense. You just never know. But um, yeah, I like this room. I mean, Chris Carson, um, if he's healthy, Last year, he gave you 1,200 yards and seven TDs. Carlos Hyde, I think, is really probably one of my favorite signings of the year. And and it it won't really pay off until, like, the second or third game. And you're just you're wondering what's going on. The, the offensive stalled a little bit with Carson. All of a sudden, Hyde comes in and gives him a little something extra. He's, he's hungry. He wants to prove himself. I think that's a great signing to, to back up Carson while Penny's uh, rehabbing. You know, Penny, though... And I'll, I'll say this, uh, had somewhat of a disappointing season last year. If you really go back and look at Penny, only 65 carries for 370 yards. And he wasn't hurt until December. So 
Well, mm-hmm. Carson did get a lot of carries there. Procise got more carries than than Penny. Yeah, Penny's, before he was hurt. Penny started the year um, banged up and and didn't really get going until November, uh, and then suddenly he was taking snaps away from Carson, um, and it looked well. Like he looked the, good. Yeah, the transition from Carson to Penny was underway when uh, Penny got hurt. Um, and then, you know, after that, it was back to being the Chris Carson show, which isn't a bad thing because Carson's a freaking amazing player. Um, but then Carson and Procise both got hurt in the same. And that was caused by the seven fumbles that Carson had last year. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really, that's why that window was open. Yeah. If it, if it hadn't been for the fumbles, Penny may not have gotten many chances because Carson was, a pretty dominant runner. You know, we as lost like five or six of those fumbles too. Do you realize that if if Carson hadn't fumbled last year, we probably would have won thirteen games. And I'm I, and I'm you know it's just one of those deals. But I mean, when you turning the ball that much over and giving your uh, opposing offenses opportunities like that, it's it's going to cost you. So mm-hmm. you know, Carson's got to figure that out because Carlos Hyde will press him this year four carries and if there's a sliver of an opening Carson drops the ball a couple three times in the first couple games Carlos Hyde's going to get an opportunity well interestingly uh DJ Dallas had a fumbling problem uh early on in his collegiate career and then um started seeing a sports psychologist about it and his last like year and a half I think he had one fumble um total and so he was something that that he absolutely corrected and if mm-hmm. whatever let's, let's happened, go send Carson was, to that guy. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's what I was thinking of. Is if Dallas can impart some of that wisdom um, to Carson or get Carson, you know, uh, that same kind of help and just kind of um, persuade him to go and, and seek out uh, these kind of things, like you could end up in a situation where um, Dallas, with that experience coming in, helps Carson to become an even better player than he already is. So uh, DJ Dallas only played three years at running back uh, so far, high school quarterback and freshman year in college as a wide receiver before he switched. Matt Miller uh, from Bleacher gave him a a pre-draft comp of Chris Carson and Spencer Ware. And no wonder they were interested in DJ Dallas. Um, Anthony Jones, I watched a bunch of tape on him yesterday. I wasn't really impressed. Didn't have, he wasn't special at any one thing. Uh, he mm-hmm. is 5'11", 215, but he was a little sluggish, didn't hit the hole hard, just kind of, eh. But when I watch Patrick Carr, that guy's electric. Um, he's definitely players. the better of the two on tape for me. The problem with Patrick Carr is he's 5'9 and 205, mm-hmm. but he ran a 4'4", and also can kick return. So they're, that guy has a little bit of an players. open... They're, they're different, very different. Um, Anthony Jones reminded me of, of Mike Davis when he was in Seattle. He is not going to break away um, from, you know, and, and take that, that run and take it 30 yards. Um, yeah. But, he had a four, six, one forty. but he is going to, between the tackles to grind yards, to fall forward, to hit people um, and, and just grind those yards between the tackles at, at you know, four yards per carry type of guy. Um, but with, and doing so, doing all that without breaking any long ones, where a car is, 
CJ Procise, hopefully CJ Procise without the injuries, um, in that he has that just electricity in his running style and everything where he gets the ball and and his legs the, churn. Yeah, and and you you think okay, well they've got it strung out, but then he planted a foot and burst past the line, and you're like, whoa, how did he turn that into an eight yard gain? Um, but at the same time, he's really undersized, and he's very Travis Homer like in terms of him running between the tackles. He's he's a guy that's going to excel outside the tackles, but not a great fit in Seattle that runs inside zone almost all the time. I agree. So he'd, he'd have to find his spot as a kick returner initially on the roster if that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. All right. Um, I'm ready for tight ends. Um, it starts with Will Disley. And uh, Will surprised us after he was drafted. I remember draft day or shortly thereafter, you and I were talking, whether it was on the show or you know before a show or whatever, and you were just not happy with the pick you felt like why would we spend a a fourth round pick on a blocking tight end he isn't going to give us anything he might not even make the roster all that kind of stuff right and we were both skeptical but i was like let's give him the chance i mean they believe in him enough to to spend the pick on a fourth rounder this guy must be pretty he's the best blocker in the draft i mean that was kind of his thing Mm -hmm. and that's what we needed at the time and then all of a sudden he shows up and he can catch the ball and he moved the chains and we're like, whoa, didn't know that guy was there, but yeah, he got hurt. He, he never did that in college. He was not a receiver in any way. And the few times they had him actually go out and run route, run routes, run routes. He looked awkward and a guy that, well, you can tell he used to play defensive end and he looks like a defensive end trying to play uh, tight end um, on his college tape, but he did not look like that in a Seahawk uniform, he suddenly could had, he showed agility, um, his rookie year that was nowhere to be found in any point of his college. Well, I tell you, and if you combine that with his second year, 10 games total, he's got like, you know, 40 catches for 450 yards and seven or eight touchdowns. I mean, it's crazy in Mm -hmm. 10 games. It was very productive. Unfortunately, um, he had that patellar tendon injury his um, his rookie season, which and then turned around the next. It's a devastating and, inju- injury. Yeah, and and then the, the in year two was off to an even better start, and then um, tore his Achilles in the other leg, which is actually really common because what you, people end up doing is they overcompensate for the uh, patellar tendon um, injury uh, and the way that they move and the way that they do things and calf and Achilles injuries in the other leg is super common for people coming off a, um, a patellar tendon. So what is the injury. hope for hundred percent recovery by September 1st? I don't know. And that's the one thing going for him was that his injury uh, in 2019 came early in the year which gives him a couple of extra months of all this recovery. But an Achilles rupture is a very long trip back. Um, He's young. Richard Sherman came back from that. Yeah, but do you remember what he was like the beginning of the first six? That's why Seattle released him. They knew that he wasn't going to be right for the first half of the year, if if even that. Yeah, Um, and his... He wasn't right his first six six to eight games in uh, San Francisco, and he looked older, slower. You could tell it wasn't that he didn't have as much juice there. 
Um, but he came back and, and he, by the end of, of that first year there, uh, and definitely last year, he looked like Richard Sherman. And, um, so with Disley, you look at that and you go, well, where, where is he in that process? Is he, um, because he got started earlier in the season, as far as his surgery and recovery, is he work? you know, maybe by week two or week three, he's back normal, or is it more like, you know, by mid season, we hope he's back normal. Um, and either way, you're still talking about getting a good, like just significantly good player back at some point during this season. That's just a huge yep. lift for this team. And just in case, Seattle went out and, and signed a hedge, a really good hedge, actually, albeit a little older, Greg Olson. Um, it's the only time in his career Greg Olson has been called a hedge. Well, that's where he's at. Oh, I know. (laughs) I'm telling you, though, when you get to be 35 years old, you're a hedge. Um, And that's that's what it is. But it's a good hedge. It's solid. If 35 makes you a hedge, what does that make you, Bill? Um, A a shrub. (laughs) I'm a shrub. I'm I'm literally the lowest point on the the totem pole. Uh, Thanks for that, Keith. I appreciate that. So I was going to have that joke be about me, and then the last second I made it about you just for the fun of it. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I'm totally uh, red in the face now, and you, you can't tell. Um, so Greg Olson, the hedge, the shrub, the whatever you want to call him, uh, is going to be able to catch you know 35 balls, give you 500 yards, and be a nice red zone target for um, for Russell Wilson. It's it's a security blanket. I mean, that's basically what Greg Olson is. Not only that, is on in the tight end room, he's going to bring help bring along Will Disley, like Jacob Hollister, uh, Colby Parkinson. Um, those guys are going to really benefit from having having Greg in the room. And when you go watch tape on Greg, the first thing that you notice is how good of a route runner he is, and how well he finds the seams and the defense and slides and slips and maneuvers around so he can stay in that seam so that his quarterback can find him. So he's going to be Russell Wilson's best friend on, on the offense. I think at least until Will Will Disley comes along Um, because Greg knows how to find those spots, those weak spots in the defense and sit down and wait for the ball. And that's just what he does. And the other thing that Greg Olson does is he's, he is an, uh, accomplished blocker as an inline blocker lining up next to the to the right tackle and and his ability to um, you know move tight ends in the running game or get up on an outside linebacker and and you know give the running back a, a chance to get upfield a little further and he's a, a very good blocker um, which the other guys that we're going to talk about on the you know as far as the upper portions of the depth chart here aren't and that would be Hollister and yeah. Parkinson. Well, with the Neither exception of maybe Will, Wilson's not bad, but he's not perfect either. Yeah. Hollister is not a blocker. Nope. Uh, but they but but the Seahawks like his unique ability to catch the ball. Um, in eleven games, he had forty one receptions, three hundred forty nine yards, and three touchdowns. Again, Russell Wilson's one of his best friends on offense. Um, mm-hmm. Just a guy that sits down low and or or creates. Uh, you know, over the over the middle or the outside, um, the bend route uh, for Hollister. Um, then Luke Wilson kind of came in uh, after we made a trade. Um, who did we trade? I can't Nick, even remember. Nick Vanette. Nick Vanette. Nick Vanette. Mm-hmm. 
uh, went to Pittsburgh you know, for a fifth round pick. We picked up Luke Wilson. Uh, I thought that was a at the time it was a pretty decent uh, swap, really. But Luke gave us eight receptions in eight games, so he's not going to catch the ball for you. He's going to be an in-line guy. Colby Parkinson was a guy we picked up in the draft, Keith. Three years at Stanford, 87 receptions, 1,171 yards, and 12 touchdowns. When you watch tape of that 6'7 giant, basically, he's just a red zone guy. He's physical against uh, corners and safeties, so when you watch him, he shoves people out of the way. I don't even know how he didn't get called for offensive pass interference in college as, as, as little as he did because he was just kind of using his body and arms to create separation and distance and, and in the red zone. All he had to do is reach up with his hand and grab the ball out of the air. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that guy. I saw him beat a couple of corners two different occasions by just literally standing and holding his arm up and catching the ball out of the air with one hand. It was just crazy and that and the defensive back is just jumping flailing trying to get the high enough to get the ball and there's just no way yeah he's he's um when i went back and, and re-looked at some of his tape he was um he was more physical than i thought he was when i he was, is physical um, when i was watching him before pre-draft i'm like okay yeah this guy's a receiver he can't block i mean he's he is um he is just an absolutely terrible blocker, although he is willing and wants to work at it and wants to get better. And, and the Seahawks believe he will become a decent blocker, but right now he's not. And but then going back and rewatching, I'm like, I was amazed at how physical he was at using his body to shield off defenders and making uh, contested catches, um, you know, through contact uh, and that kind of stuff, which actually just makes Russell Wilson's life easier. Cause you throw the ball up in the corner you know, you can trust that if Parkinson can't get to it, nobody can. Um, Isn't that the truth? And uh, that's the kind of, I mean, that's the kind of, sometimes you just have to have that where, you know, the quarterback's running for his life and, and you, you need seven points, you don't need three. So you throw it up and you let your six, seven guy um, who's matched up on a, um, you know, a six foot one corner um, just go up and get it. And that's the type of uh, asset that Colby Parkinson can can provide uh, while he learns the other parts of his game. And he, he, he needs to get better at route running because he, he's not Greg Olson in terms of that. And he needs to get better at blocking, period, um, and that kind of stuff. But right now, he can still make a major impact on the offense. Just his ability to uh, out-muscle defenders, even in really strong coverage, um, and go get the ball and and turn you know those contested catches into positive yards. Seattle also signed a couple of undrafted free agents uh, to the tight end room. It's a it's a pretty packed room. Uh, but Dom Wood Anderson from Tennessee and Tyler uh, Mabre from Maryland. Um, Dom Wood Anderson is probably the guy that has the best shot at sticking, uh, even if it's on the practice squad. Uh, 6'4", 261, ran a 4'9", 240, 35-inch vertical. He's more of a all-around uh, good tight end. Inline blocker is his specialty, but he can catch the ball, has very soft hands, natural pass catcher. Um, if the room wasn't so darn crowded, he might have a chance to make the roster as a fourth tight end on a team that carries four tight ends. This situation is—it's going to be a 
practice squad spot that he's probably fighting for. And he's got a chance if he can show that he can stick. There is another possibility, and that is um, if the Seahawks, if Nick Ballore gets hurt or if they decide they want um, to do that kind of thing more often, you could, I could see him sticking as a fullback. Or yeah, they, he was one of the better blockers I've saw at the tight end position. Yeah, so they, they'd call him an H-back because he would sw- split time between um, you know, tight end and, and fullback and H backs kind of in the middle. And so they'll, they would call him that, but I could see him making the roster, uh, as a fullback if Nick Ballard doesn't make the roster, um, hmm. in that spot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think they're going to do? Um, and we're not quite ready to get to the, the offensive line, but what do you do with the, the George Fant spot with the six offensive linemen this year? Is that what you're talking about essentially? Kind of, yeah. Um, and you could do that. I actually was was looking at that, and I go with the offensive line. If you're going to keep four tight ends, which I think they will this year, really. Um, if you have four tight ends on your roster, you don't play a, an offensive lineman at tight end because then you have really five tight ends on your roster, um, and you're not there's not enough playing time for all of them. So why do you keep the extra bodies if um, you're going to give all those snaps to a uh, to an offensive tackle. I think if you keep four tight ends on your roster, um, you're expecting Greg Olson um, to, or Will Disley, when, if he's healthy and, and ready to go, to be that guy in the George Fant role. That'll be interesting. When we get to that 53-man show, that'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see what choices we make that, there. That That is a... That could that right there we could have a really long discussion on because what do you do? This is a really good looking tight end group, um, and we know what the Seahawks like to do with their with bringing in an extra offensive lineman to take a tight end spot on the field. And so, like I said, this is gonna that's gonna be a great uh, point of of conversation here in a couple weeks. I'm sure you excited everyone out there in the audience when you said it, it's going to be a great long conversation about the fourth or fifth tight end on the roster and the offensive line. <laughs> of course, I mean, those, those are the things that everybody wants to hear about. And by everybody, I mean me and probably nobody else. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's, let's talk do- wide receiver. Yep. Um, and this is the, the, you know, this is the last, uh, uh, position group where where people get to touch the ball a, a lot on the offense that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to go to center guard and, and tackle really quick because I have a feeling we're probably going to run out of time. Um, Keith, why don't you go ahead and uh, rattle off the wide receiver room? Okay, so the wide receiver room starts at, at the very top. You got Tyler Lockett, who's one of the best in the league. Um, doesn't get credit for being that, but he has been over the last two years. DK Metcalf might be the most athletically gifted receiver to enter the NFL since Julio Jones. Uh, Philip Dorsett comes over from New England, a very fast straight line guy. Um, Josh Gordon is on the radar. Uh, This is something that uh, has happened more this last week where with the league agreeing to drop some of the the stuff they've been doing with uh, marijuana testing and whatnot. Josh Gordon has applied for reinstatement. He is expected to get it. And then uh, today actually had some tweets about the Seahawks, or not tweets, um, Instagram posts um, about the Seahawks and working out with Russell Wilson and that kind of stuff, which made it sound like he was interested. And at the same time, a report came out that said 
that the Seahawks would rather have Josh Gordon than uh, Antonio Brown. So um, he's definitely a possibility. He's not on the roster right now. John Clayton uh, put that, like like I said, I think the last show, 85% that the Seahawks signed Josh Gordon. Mm -hmm. But If he's reinstated. He is not on the roster, but I cannot in good conscience, have us go through this portion of the, of the receiver group and not talk about him because he belongs there. Um, you've got David Moore, who was the third uh, wide receiver for much of last year, who's back on a um, restricted free agent deal. You've got uh, last year's guy that they barely played except for in a playoff game, um, but they rostered him all year because they were they they could they basically felt they could not lose him they did not want to even take a chance and that would be John Ursula and his unique skill set um and then your rookies you've got Freddie Swain who was drafted in the sixth round you've got um Stephen Sullivan who played tight end a little bit but he is going to lose some weight and play wide receiver at 6-4 um you know he was a seventh round pick they actually traded back into uh, the draft in order to get him because they were really excited about him. And then you've got a bunch of guys uh, that were kind of undrafted and, you know, they're, they're here trying to show that they belong in, in, in Aaron Fuller and uh, Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, Seth Dawkins. It's a, this is a stacked room. There's a lot of good names here, a lot of good players. There are more good players than roster spots available at wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a very deep, um, group right now, especially at the top with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, obviously um, mm-hmm. one of the better duos in the league. And then Philip Dorsett's really thinks that he's found his new home, long-term home with the Seahawks thinks he's a good fit in this offense. Uh, he's had history with Schottenheimer before looking forward to catching balls from Russell Wilson. I expect Right now, without the Josh Gordon uh, influx, I expect Dorsett to take that third spot on the roster as far as snaps. Maybe look at catching, you know, 30 to 35 balls uh, with the Seahawks. David Moore, just don't know what you're going to get out of David Moore. And that's that's not a good thing after three or four years in the league. He had 34 targets in 2019, only caught 17 of those, 50%. 301 yards, couple touchdowns, David Moore. John Ursua is interesting. He's slow, but he's very, very quick. So John Ursua ran a straight line 40 at uh, 4.61. Mm-hmm. Really uh, John Ursua also slow. had like a 20-yard split and a three-cone that was off the charts elite. So he's very quick, very shifty, but slower, uh, you know, going down the seam. So he's yes. totally a slot guy. The guy that um, I keep refer like comparing him to um, that I think is starting to catch on is uh, uh, Wes Welker, who played for the Patriots for a long time and had a hundred some catches a year for like three years in a row. Um, does not have the straight line speed to be an outside guy, but is super quick, super yes. agile, uh, creates space um, with sudden movement and sudden change of direction, like very few people on earth can do and he's a very unique player he's also going to be 27 this year um or or 28 something like that no it's 27 um yeah i i it's hard to believe that he was when he would he was drafted at 25 that's old for a drafted player and then so he turned 26 last year um in his rookie year when he had 
like only a couple of catches, and I think they all came in the playoffs. And then now he's going to turn 27 in only his second year in the league. So, so here's um, where decisions need to be made. So you got Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett, and then you've got a bunch of guys that are all bunched up. And if you just don't talk about Josh Gordon yet, you've got mm-hmm. David Moore, Ursua, Swain, and Sullivan all pining for a spot. That's seven wide receivers. Chances are they're going to keep five or six. They kept six last year. And that was yep. only because they they basically protected Ursula on the roster all year. Well, they also, really, the sixth guy wasn't Ursula. It was Jennings, who was the guy that... That's um, very true. He was the guy that um, was the sixth guy um, coming out of camp. He was later cut. Um, you know, they kept Ursula and they, they cut Jennings and... Um, and you know they signed, they brought Gordon in and it kind of replaced that. They ran with six most of the year, um, even though Ursa would, you know didn't really see the field until the very end of it. But uh, six seems about right with this group. I mean, but as you were saying, you've got seven guys uh, without Josh Gordon coming back. You've got eight if he does, um, and then you've got guys like Penny Hart who really didn't I mean Seahawks fans don't know about this guy but he's got tremendous upside he does. he's a return a kick returner too very shifty very small like 58 185 or whatever but he's like a lightning rod and Aaron Fuller is kind of a physical kind of a self-confident kind of wide receiver that you want to be successful but he had 17 drops in three years at the university of washington what do you do with a guy like that he's got to lick that drop problem and then he might have something um and seth dawkins and cody thompson kind of round out the the back end um cody thompson probably has you know he's a little smaller and he has a little bit more of that slot receiver in him but uh seth dawkins is 6'3 218 ran a 450 um out of Louisville and that guy, you know, looks the part. Um, so it'd be really interesting this year, especially on that back end. The competition is going to be fierce. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what happens. Cause I think, you know, how many offensive linemen they keep, how many running backs, how many tight ends all plays into what this roster is going to end up looking like. So it'd be interesting to see on your 53 man prediction, how you do it and, and where I come in and if there are any differences or if we end up on the same page, like we seem like we always end up. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it all, part of it is that if we have to, we'll, we'll go into that show. If Josh Gordon isn't signed, we have to come up with a ruling on whether we're or not, we're going to allow his name to be a part of that discussion. <laughs> um, you're, you sound he, like you're all in on Josh Gordon. Yeah, I actually am. I expect, um, him to be reinstated. I mean, what was he? He was um, suspended, you know, and uh, indefinitely, but for something that is no longer against the rules. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the league treats that. So I expect him to get reinstated, and if he does, uh, he wants to be in Seattle, and I honestly believe, based on the reports and what happened last year and everything, that the Seattle wants him back, and he's... I mean, It'd be interesting if he had a reinstatement, but he had a four-game suspension. Oh, I can't. I can't imagine they, them doing that with a. Um, given that what he 
what he tested for is no longer illegal. I can't imagine that they would extend his suspension yeah, beyond I know. what he already served. You never know, because the and you know like, so far up till this point, the punishment um, criteria in the NFL has been wishy-washy to say it best. Uh, yeah, it's Goodell, so who knows? So let's talk offensive linemen. Um, everyone wants to talk about offensive linemen. Yeah, and, so uh, the most interesting position in all of football. Yeah, well, and there's three separate positions, uh, and and that makes it even more interesting. So let's talk about center. Uh, the Seahawks signed B.J. Finney, uh, cut Justin Britt. B.J. Finney is the likely guy. Uh, yeah. He doesn't have very many starts. I think he's got five starts in his career at Pittsburgh. At um, center. At center, and that's the guy that we're going with. He's got more starts, but a lot of them weren't guard. Um, but uh, yeah, he's only got five starts at center. But he he was one of those guys. He was like the backup center behind a behind an all pro, um, but was good enough in practice in the preseason and whatnot that they felt like they had to get him in the game, and so they he started at guard and and, and got playing time in guard, even though he was still the backup center, um, and. So he's going to come in. He's going to be the starting center uh, in Seattle, at least at first. I mean, you know, we'll go from there. But uh, find, and, me, and find me so, anyone on this roster who could who could supplant him. So Britt went out last year with an ACL, and that was the end. Uh, that was the last time he put on a Seahawk uniform. And they they cut him because he had like a you know an eight and a half million dollar cap savings if they did so, and the writing was on the wall. Uh, after they signed Finney. So then after that, you've got Joey Hunt, who it, it currently is the number two guy still on the roster, even though he showed in real NFL games that he couldn't hold up against premier defensive tackles. You know, not a lot of guys can in, in the world, let alone a backup center the size of Joey Hunt. I mean, Joey Hunt is like 305 pounds soaking wet. I don't say that lightly, excuse the pun. Um and he's like six foot one and three quarters or something like that. So he's he's smaller and he just doesn't have a chance against guys that are going to bull rush him. And yeah. when they do bull rush him, he's on his back. And that's not a good thing for the Seahawks offense when he's out there. But with all that said, they had a pretty good passing grade and a rushing grade when, you know, pro football focus wise. So while he did get blown up on a few plays that you notice, uh, overall, though, he was okay. He was okay. He's he's the type of person that um, he belongs as a, in the NFL as a backup. You don't want to be depending on him for to be the guy uh, as a center. Um, but he's played uh, guard at times uh, during his Seahawk tenure, which is really been, weird to me because he's way undersized for guard. Yeah, totally. Um, but he has had to because you know you don't you don't keep. You can't have everybody on the on your roster be active on game day, and so there were times when he's had to come in and play snaps at guard. That's exactly and been, right, and been okay. That's and why I he, thought for sure that they would do a better job finding a true backup center slash guard that could be active on game day this year, as opposed to Joey Hunt. Well, yeah, and and I just I think with him, he showed that he can be that guy, but that if you if your starter gets hurt, then you're in trouble. Uh, like like 
and I, when I don't mean hurt, I don't mean like, oh, he's going to miss a game or he's going to be banged up for part of a game and, you know, needed, uh, you need a quarter to get the, um, uh, the, right. you know, that kind of thing. Um, if you, you're talking like a series of games like this is where the Seahawks had with Britt, Hunt's not going to be the solution. He's going to be a problem. And I think that was shown. Um, and that's also why I think that uh, a guy that everyone has been kind of forgotten, the guy that's been forgotten about during all of this has been Ethan Posick, a former high um, draft pick. Uh, Third round, 2017. Yeah. Right? Um, yep. And he was a center in college. Well, he played every position in college, but he was a center at his senior year in college. And for some reason, Tom Cable drafted him to be a tackle. And that blew up in his face. And uh, last year, he started the year as the starting left uh, guard and looked really good uh, in replace of Mike Lupati. But Lupati came in and um, Posick hurt his back, and we never saw Posick again. Um, but Posick can play that position. He has that ability, and we, as long as he can, you know, keep his back healthy, he is the guy that I would say has the potential to unseat Joey Hunt because he's a better player. He just has to show he can stay healthy. And then they've got a guy named Kyle Fuller, who is the fourth on the depth chart center on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Mr. Fuller. Um, <laughs> guard, uh, Mike Upati, left guard. Damian Lewis, right guard, our rookie, our rookie. Um, those are the starters right now um, that we've got penciled in. Phil Haynes, that was going to give Mike Upati a run for his money to get that left guard spot in camp. That'll be one of the best camp battles mm-hmm. um, on the roster. And then after that, you've got Jordan Simmons, Jordan Roos. Chance Warmack is an interesting story. 28 years old, spent 2019 off any NFL roster. In 2000, I think he was drafted in, I don't even know what, Keith. Uh, it was late, late in the first round. 2016, I think, or mm-hmm. 2015, something like that. Uh, first three seasons, though, he started at Tennessee as their right guard. Uh, he had an injured reserve landing in 2016 with his hand, 2017-18 with the Eagles as a reserve backup. It saw action in like four games. And then 2019 out of football. So here's a former first-round draft pick who was picked one spot in front of um, our old right guard looking to land a spot as our new right guard. Um, Chance Wormack might be it. This is the sort of situation where a guy shows up. He's a pro. He knows what it takes. You never know what kind of fire is in his belly to get back in the NFL and get back on a roster. And this is a guy that has a chance um, to not only make the roster, but push somebody off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see if he's the guy at the, at the end of training camp that they decide to hold on to, to be kind of their, you know, their, their backup guard on, on both sides. Yeah. And he is the type of guy that, um, you want your, your team to sign because he signed for the, the minimum salary and he has first round pick potential because I mean, that's who he was. And he, um, looked good in Tennessee at first, but he struggled with injuries and was never healthy at any point. And then last year wasn't even, he wasn't even on a roster. He wasn't even invited into a training camp. He was 
completely out of the league. But well, he's, he's one of those. Just, he's one of those guys, Keith, that has a bad body. You know, uh-huh. you look at him, and he's just he's got a bad body. He's six two, but he's like two hundred and thirty pounds, and he runs a four five zero forty. So he's just a, he's a plotter, mm-hmm. and you know it's so he's not a um, an athletic guy. Although he talks to himself in terms of athleticism when you hear him talk, mm-hmm. but when the reality is he's not athletic. He's good in a box. You know, when they talk about in the draft, the guy's good in a box, he can, you know, in, in close quarters, et cetera. That's that guy. Um, he's very good if he doesn't have to get to the second level or if he doesn't have to pull clear around to, to block. And Seattle requires that of their guards. Not only do they want him to be big, huge trucks, but they want him to be able to get out in space. And so I'm not sure if Chance Wormack is the type of player that can be successful in Seattle, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, that, that, that it comes down to, um, is he actually healthy? Because he, he hasn't been um, since like 2017. Um, and has he taken the time that he's had off? Has he used it to uh, get his his health right? Um, and if it, if he has, then he, he has a chance. Because like I was saying, um, this is a guy with first-round talent. He's, gr- he's great. Uh, in terms of blocking the guy in front of him, he was first team All American at Alabama. Yeah, um, this is a guy that can straight up play, or could, um, a few years ago, if he's healthy. And so we we just need to know well, if, if he's he has the, or not. if he has that fire. Like I said, in the NFL, after you get paid, and he got paid quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's still got that desire in him to, uh, to make the roster and to have an impact. He could, he could, he could make it just on talent. Mm-hmm. All right, and then Khalil Mack, uh, not Khalil Mack. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was Khalil Mack. Uh, Khalil McKenzie, mm-hmm. uh, Reggie McKenzie's. What is it? His son, I think, um, like is uh, is kind of practice squad type of guy at the back end there. Yep. The tackle group uh, is okay at the top and then it gets really dicey so it gets really dicey really quickly Dwayne Brown is old and he's left tackle and he's still really pretty good oh, he's yeah. kind of a top 10 in the NFL tackle when he's healthy and when he's in there um, left side Brandon mm-hmm. Shell we picked up in free agency to replace Jermaine Effetti Jermaine Effetti spent time um, out there in free agency like I thought he would and ended up signing for a veteran minimum and they're going to move him inside to guard, which is probably the best case scenario for him. Found a team, Chicago, I think, mm-hmm. that decided they were going to give him a shot inside. I think that's the best thing for a Fetty going forward to resurrect his career and make some money. We'll see if that happens. Brandon Sheldo is here. Yeah. I was saying, Fetty has a chance to be a really, really good guard. And I absolutely wish that uh, Tom Cable had left him there and not moved him outside because yes, he was bad as a rookie at guard. Um, but he was learning a new position. And so the, why were they playing? They were, they were trying to get him experience by playing him in a position he'd never played before. Uh, if they had left him there and let him continue to learn at guard, I think they would have had something useful, but instead they moved him at the tackle where he was terrible. He was just a terrible player. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to Chicago for taking him away from Seattle. Um, 
but I'm also glad that they're moving him inside because I think he has a chance to resurrect his career and be a good player. He fits at guard. He doesn't. He's not a tackle. I agree, and we talked about that for years. I mean, mm-hmm. it just is what it is at this point. Uh, Brandon Shell though comes in six five two or excuse me three twenty four at right tackle, uh, presumptive starter. Um, he's. This is just kind of a, uh, a lateral signing, I think, for the Seahawks. They expect him to give you the the same production as the Fetty had, minus the the penalties, and that's mm-hmm. basically what you can expect. Um, last year, he gave up seven. Was it last year he gave up seven sacks or seven sacks total in his career? I can't remember something like that. But he, you know, he's going to give up some pressure. He's going to give up some sacks. That's just who he is. But he's going to be steady for you. He's going to be a steady run blocker. He's going to be a steady pass protector. He's a um, better. He's a. He's not as good of a run blocker as a Fetty. He's a better pl- pass blocker than a Fetty. Um, it ends up being fairly lateral, but they didn't pay him much. It's a short deal. He's a placeholder. Um, they they needed a right tackle. Um, so I got a question for you. So, so, they, so if you com- if you combine that with Finney at center being a better pass blocker than a run blocker. If you have a newbie at, at, at right guard at, with Lewis, and then you've got a shell that's not a, as good a pass blocker, but he's okay, but he's not a good run blocker. What is that? What is that going to do for our run game this year? Do you think I we're going to have an impact? I mean, what you're what you're seeing here is that the team finally recognized that uh, you can't have Russell Wilson getting killed. Uh, every game. And so they went out and we know that Dwayne Brown can pass block. We know that Finney is a better pass blocker uh, than Britt ever was. You've got Shell, who's a better pass blocker than Effetti was. They upgraded their pass blocking and uh, they are going to be better at that. They're going to keep Russell Wilson from getting killed. Um, Does it hurt the run game? Maybe, but Damian Lewis, you're, you know, as a, He's a rookie. He's right a monster. Guard. He's but ready he's a, made to run block. Yeah. And we know Mike Lupati is a run blocker. He's not a pass blocker. Um, Phil Haynes, who's competing with Lupati at that other spot, is a run blocker. So you've got guys that are going to be impactful players as a run blockers to go with an upgrade um, at pass blocking. I think overall the offensive line is better, certainly deeper this year. Um, and any offensive line that doesn't have uh, a Fetty at right tackle is instantly better. Um, but I, I think they're better and um, they're going to be better in a way that's going to help the team get wins. And that is keeping Russell Wilson uh, on his feet. So I did notice that the team has moved uh, Jamarco Jones to uh tackle is in the mm-hmm. tackle group um and that that was a little surprising to me um in that he really did struggle last year and i thought he would be a better fit inside uh, just given his athleticism or lack thereof and and size um but he's he's out there at uh, tackle he's looking to back up Dwayne brown at left tackle at right mm-hmm. tackle you've got three choices basically guy that we picked up another uh first round pick Cedric Abuahi, 6'5", 308. He's got huge, long arms, wingspan, et cetera. Um, Chad Wheeler, 
uh, practice squad type guy, and then Tommy Champion, which is a great name for a for a football player. Mississippi Street undrafted free agent 6'5", 320, comes in to compete. Um, so the back end of that tackle group is not very impressive. Mm-mm. Don't count out Jamarco Jones actually continuing to make an impact at guard, even though they've listed... He was listed as a guard tackle before, and now he's listed as just a tackle. Uh, that was in part because of the way the draft fell and the fact that they were able to, um, you know, get uh, a guy like Lewis to be a guard, and and they didn't get a tackle, and so they're like, okay, well, we need bodies at tackle. Um, so the Jones is going to get a chance to to be that left tackle. That's what he played in college. He's going to be, um, you know, that backup there and whatnot. But on game day, if you're only going to keep two or three backups active and let the other backups be on the inactive list. Having a guy like Jones who can play guard and tackle and play both of those uh, on both sides, you get four out of the five positions as a backup. That's a really, really valuable. So you'd keep, you'd keep uh, Phil Haynes and Jones on the active roster game day. And you probably wouldn't activate a guy like, Joey Hunter, Ethan Posick. I mean, uh, how many no, offensive he, linemen did you activate on game day? Eight. Uh, generally, you keep you keep seven or eight. Um, but you want the only time you ever keep seven is if you're you're in a situation where you absolutely have to have an extra body at a certain position because um, you're playing someone who's hurt and you know you're only going to get a few snaps out of them. Um, but if you keep eight, then you keep um, like Jones, Posick. And um, Abuahi uh, as your your three because you've got and you Posick. wouldn't you wouldn't have Haynes. No, he would be inactive if he doesn't. Yeah, that sucks for him, huh? Um, but what, the reason why you do that is because Posey can play guard and center. You've got um, Jones cool. who can play Phil tackle Haynes needs and to learn guard. how to snap the ball. And. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then you'd have uh, a guy like Abuhi that can play both tackle spots and be that sixth offensive lineman if you want to bring that in in the goal line situation type of thing. And yeah, if Phil Haynes can learn how to snap a ball and do the things that a center does. He could be the new he, Ethan Posick. He could push Ethan Posick off the roster. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that that hasn't happened. Because it would be, it it would seem to be somewhat um, intuitive that that they would have a, an option that they would they would prefer to have on the active game day roster, um, be able to snap the ball. So anyway, that's it, right? That's our roster. That's our offensive roster off the ninety man total. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty good. I mean, I feel really good about the offense uh, as a whole, especially the skill positions. Um, running back, tight end, wide receiver, obviously quarterback. I mean, we could compete with anybody, I think, in the league. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we have a chance, depending on how things wash out, um, to be a top five offense with this sort of roster. Um, I think really it, what it would come down to is protection for Russell Wilson for that to be able to happen. And, and the offensive line is going to have to jump fairly quickly this year. And you're looking at at least three new starters, possibly four 
if uh, Upadi gets pushed off. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think about that? Well, I think that um, this is clearly an offensive line in transition um, in that they three, their three starters from last year aren't on the roster anymore. So we're not like projecting a change in starter when we say three new. We're guaranteed three new because those three players are not in Seattle. Um, and the so, whole right side of the offensive line. Yep, center, right guard, right tackle, um, all gone. And so, um, now granted, I think that we've got an upgrade at center. Um, Lewis has a chance to be an upgrade at right guard, although I don't know if counting on him to be that week one is fair. Um, it's much more likely that he's going to become that, um, you know, down the road. Uh, and then at right tackle, you've got kind of a, like we were saying, a lateral move as far as ability, but with fewer penalties. Um so will it be better? Yes, but it's not great. It's not like they went and got an all pro or anything. How um, long do you think they'll need in order to be um, in sync together? Like really fluid kind of mid-season form. Are we talking mid-season or are we talking in the first three or four games, these guys could come together and be pretty good? I don't know. Um, I've seen I've seen it go both ways where – you you take a group and that's got a lot of turnover and it takes them eight games before they gel and then all of a sudden they become they go from being bad to being good um, and then I've also do you think seen, it hinges on B J Finney? It does because what what makes it what makes a an offensive line make that transition quickly is great communication um, and that was one of the reasons why. Um, I was okay seeing a Fetty go, and even if they made a lateral move, because that was one of his weaknesses was at, was the the communication aspect of it. Um, Brown is great at that. We know Lupati has a strength in there. Finney is uh, known for being a great communicator on the offensive line. All right side's kind of an unknown, um, but if there is great communication within the group, they can begin working as a team much quicker than if they're trying to do everything like uh, without communicating and just have it be instinctual and reading what the other people are doing and and whatnot. Uh, It's really going to come down to how well they communicate. And that's going to come down mostly to, um, you know, Fenny and I want to say Fenny and Lupati more. I don't know how much of that you can depend on Lewis, who's a rookie, but if those two guys. Well, I'll tell you this about Lewis. He was known at LSU as being the guy on their offensive line that was the glue, the communicator, the guy that uh, mm. pointed out uh, line calls, all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. That's a great, now, that's he, a great he worked sign. in He worked in conjunction with the, with the center to do that, but he was the guy. that He was the team captain. He was the, the mm-hmm. force, if you will. That's a great sign. Um, because if the, if, you're, if the center part of your line is good at communicating, your line's going to be okay. Um, the tackles, it's not as as crucial as long as they're listening because they're only really communicating with the, with the guard next to them. I totally um, agree. Uh, the center and the guards have to be able to communicate in both directions, right? Both inside and outside of them, um, right and left if you're the center, whatever. Um, and it, it's just the level of communication that some people do it well. Some people get focused on the guy in front of them and they zone everything else out and they don't do it well. And they have to learn to read physical cues and, and placement and that kind of stuff. Um, but communication will allow a line to come together faster. 
I'm really looking forward to the 53 show because uh, there's a lot of guys on offense that we're going to have to figure out where they go. Like, yeah, there's, there's some talented guys that will not make this roster. I agree. Offense. And, and we're going to have to, and, and we're going to have to cross our fingers on a few of them that they make the practice squad. It just yeah. is what it is. But there are some talented guys that will not make the roster and may end up being picked up by other teams because they're talented guys and they're better than what the other teams have on their 53. So. All right. So next week we come back and we do the same thing with the defense. Uh, so that'll be a great show. And uh, the week after that, we do the 53. And I think the week after that, we've got a question and answer and beer sipping show, which we'll try to do uh, in the afternoon so that we can enjoy a beverage or two together, uh, which will be, uh, which is always a great time for us. Um, so until next time, follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of the, uh, the archive shows. And you can subscribe to the show um, and you can listen to the show. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And you can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.